mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 16. Now, by way of remembrance, um, let's read verse 15, 315. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this is, this is pretty extraordinary because this is what God says in His Word. Not that you're a murderer and you had to go out and shoot them, but when you hate somebody in your heart, you become a murderer just like Cain. And remember, that's what he was talking about when Cain killed his brother Abel. Well, first, Cain had it in his heart. First, Cain was hating the fact that his brother, who was bringing a sacrifice to God, and it was acceptable. So it's in his heart. He's envious. He's jealous. He begins to hate his brother. He thinks that he can pretend because he's bringing an offering. He is doing what he thinks he's supposed to do, but he wants to do it his way. So he's really pretending because on the inside, hate is boiling over. So when God tells you to pray for your enemies, when God tells you not to hate, the, the end result of that hate becomes murder. Now you might say, oh, come on, I hate them, but I would never murder them. And God says the end result is murder. And really, if you stop and think about it, the murder could be your own. You could be killing yourself. Hate in your heart is the opposite of God. God is love, we're going to see. And this is going to be the example that is re re reflected for us. And this is why it's so important that Christianity, living for God, being a child of God in a relationship with God, cannot be simply one prayer. See, God, according to 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He wants to sanctify us, purify us, set us apart, spirit, soul, and body. Not just spirit. And see, when you receive the righteousness from Christ by believing in Him, now your spirit is positionally set in the right place with God. But now that's positional with your spirit. Practically with your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, which is down here. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, he says that this corruptible body must put on incorruptible. So when we see him, we get a new body that's incorruptible, and the body now has been sanctified completely. So you have to go through all three of those places 
And so now you can't just say one prayer, but you begin to follow, be led by the Spirit, and you begin to let Him purge you and burn out the dross and purify you and wash you and cleanse you so that you don't sit around with hate in your heart, the old nature growing in your heart, and think you have eternal life. If there's not a complete surrender and going in the direction, then you might need to think about whether I ever got saved at all. Because you can have a new father, you have a new hope, you have a new home, you have a new teacher, you have a new life, a new and living hope. And just because culturanity has been teaching us all of our lives that all you have to do is say a prayer, doesn't mean that it's true. Because it's not what the Bible teaches. God says He wants to sanctify us, spirit, soul, and body. So you have to begin to follow Him. Be led by His Spirit. Or you're allowing the old nature to stay in the heart, harboring hate, which to its fullest extent is murder. Remember, Jesus said we're above the law. I say that on purpose so that your brain goes, what? The law says... You shall not commit adultery. Jesus says if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you already have done it. See, he sees the furthest point of it, of where it's going, if he allows you to stay in it. And then he says if you hate your brother, you really have already committed murder. Because that's where it would go at its logical conclusion at the end. It would be murder. So John over and over is telling us to check our hearts, to put ourselves on trial, to judge yourself, if you will, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. Judge yourself. How's he say that? By this we know. By this we gnosko. By this we know. If we don't have this fruit, this evidence, this life, this transformation, we don't have this direction of new life going on, then we're not of God. Listen, so if we can't deal with the hate in our heart, if you go, well, I have a right to hate him. I have a right. They did this to me. No, you don't. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You're not your own anymore. You belong to God. You're in the family of God. And he's telling you to walk away from death culture. Walk away from death and walk forward into new life. Don't continue to say, I have a right. You have no rights. What you have is a privilege to be part of the family of God. And when you say, I hate them, and look what they did, nobody is denying your emotions, your feelings. Nobody's denying your hurt, your pain, your suffering. In fact, it's an acknowledgement of it because Christ, who was perfect, God in heaven, come to earth and suffered more than any of us. And he said, I've already taken all that. I've dealt with all that. And now you need to lay it down at the cross. And you need to go forth as a new creation and begin to understand what life is really about. Life in my kingdom. Life in my house. Life in my, as, as a citizen in my abode. My house. And there has to be a change of direction, a change of heart. It cannot be going 
on continuing the same way that you've been living because if it is, in your heart, sin is crouching at the door just as with Cain. And it wants to, its desire is to rule over you. But God has given you a new life where the Spirit of God and the instruction of God and the Word of God is leading you out of that. So this, again, as we move on, Verse 16, 316 of 1 John. He gives us another one of these. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we Keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, many things, and we are far removed from the culture that it was written in, but we do know that we are now children, your children, because of your Spirit who has baptized us into the body of Christ. So we know that this word is still as applicable today as it was then, and you're still speaking now to us, and we ask, Lord, that you would sanctify us spirit, soul, and body, that you would give us a desire to enter into this race to win, that we would look onward and upward and go with you, and we would stop looking backward at the dog that bit us and hating and being bitter and mad and thinking it's going to hurt somebody else when it only hurts us. Change our hearts, Lord. Give us wisdom in how to move forward and grow in the grace and the knowledge of you, and go and be witnesses with new lives. We give you praise in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Again, verse 16. Notice it's another John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. And if you were to compare these books, there's a lot of the same things being said in different ways. So 1 John 3.16 is, by this we know love, he's a person, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now we have an example here, but, but think about this just for a minute, because Jesus tells them that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Well, what, what is the Father's heart? What is God's heart? He spoke and created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and sent His Word to heal the land. He spoke and He gives us these 66 books by 40 authors that are the instructions in how we're supposed to live and reveals His character, His nature, His will. It reveals His name. When God spoke, He revealed His love. And His love come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Love incarnate, Jesus Christ, the heart of God, the Word of God, the love of God, come down and saved us, if we will believe it. Once again, like we talked about Friday night, the Bible doesn't ask you to believe there's a God. And never tries to convince you that there's a God. The Bible asks you to believe God. Believe His promises. To believe God. Abraham believed God. Not believed in God. He believed the promise that God was going to make him a father of many nations. Do you believe the promise that God has sent a Salvatore? He sent a Redeemer. He sent Jesus, His Son, His love to change your life. To give you redemption. To adopt you into His family. Because when you... Just say, I believe in God. Then your life doesn't reflect God. Is there truly evidence that you know God? Because there should be. God is real. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere. God is not slack. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. Because God's not mad at you. First Samuel... Excuse me, 2 Samuel. Brain went dead. 2 Samuel 14, 14. Listen to this. For we will surely die. Everybody's going to die. Pointing for man to die once, then comes the judgment. And become like water spilled on the ground. What does it do? It soaks back into the ground. Can't get it up. Which cannot be gathered up again. Yet, God does not take away life. But He devises means so that His banished ones are not expelled from Him. Listen to me. God is not against us. It's the devil that's against us. And in fact, your flesh might be your biggest enemy because you listen to the lies and you're not getting into the instruction and learning out what the inheritance is. God's devising ways. He's allowing things to come into your life that will make you go, Oh, Lord, thank you for your love. Oh, Lord, thank you for salvation. He's trying to, to get you to turn to Him. He's not mad at you. He's doing everything. He gave His most prized possession. His Son, Jesus, His only begotten Son. He poured out His blood for us. He sent His love for us. And he demonstrated it while you were yet sinners, Romans 5.8. Christ died for us. This is the love of God. And we often begin to think, well, God's mad at me. It's not working for me. The love doesn't work for me. No, he's just wanting you to get into his word, prayer and fellowship. Confess your sin and begin to grow and go. There's nothing wrong with his power. There's nothing wrong with his perfect salvation. There is absolutely nothing wrong with his plans for you and for me and for all of his people. 
He's a good father. The problem is, is do we believe what he has said? And as the centurion said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes, we're growing together. But is your faith growing? See, faith grows as you go. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you ignore the word of God and you let something else feed you, lie to you, instruct you, lead you, guide you, it's your desires, it's the world desires, it's keeping up with the Joneses, whatever it may be, if it's not the Spirit of God, then you're not growing in faith with God. And again, no matter what you do, it doesn't change what God's going to do. God's already doing what He's doing. But He gives you the privilege He gives you free will, and you can choose. And if you choose God, as for me and my house, we shall choose the Lord our God. We shall follow God. And if you choose that, then you have all the power of heaven and earth, all the power of Jesus to propel you into that. And the gates of hell cannot prevail over it. But you have to ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. And to begin to move in that direction. Listen to me. You cannot stay where you're at and go with God. You can't stay there. And that's what a prayer at an altar tells you you can do. A prayer at an altar convinces you that I'm already in. And salvation, you're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It is a life that you are now living. Not death you are used to live. It's a life you're now living in a relationship with life himself who does not take life, but he devises ways to bring his banished ones back to him. We were all banished because of the first Adam's sin. And we can be brought back in by the second Adam's righteousness. And here is one of those evidences that we want to put down and sit down with God and say, Lord, is that love in me? Do I care about that love? Or am I just too busy with my own little desires of living death? Am I too busy with my own little desires of doing what I want to do? By this we know love. Listen, you can know love. And I'm, listen, okay, stop, stop. We're not talking about, I love you. You're so pretty, let's get married. I love you. That is so fake and fleshly and nothing to do with God's love. You know what God's love did? The other, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sat up in heaven and looked down and said, you miserable peasants. no. He got up off of the throne in heaven and came down and he became a baby and allowed a woman to carry him around for nine months. And then he became an obedient child for 30 years. And then he became an itinerant preacher who everybody hated because he spoke the truth. 
He spoke the kingdom of God. And he set his face like flint to do the will of God. And he, and he moved toward Jerusalem where he knew that after three plus years, they were going to crucify him. And he said, for this purpose I have come. Listen to me. Love is a verb. It's an action word. When you say you love somebody, then it requires you to move and to begin to do the work and the labor. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I do? Why do you say you love me and you don't keep my commandments? See, talk is cheap. We're going to see here in a minute. We do not love in word, in tongue. Love is walked out. What did Jesus do? Bible says in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word that he might present her to himself a spotless and clean bride without wrinkle or any such thing. See that example? See that love in motion? He didn't stay in heaven. He could have, but that's not the plan. The father handed him a plan and said, go do this. Follow the instruction. And he always did what pleased the Lord. When you say you love somebody, that interrupts your life. You become a servant and you lay down your life. And that love is what has been birthed in us. And we're supposed to be showing the fruits of that spirit, which is love. I'm, I'm a Christian now. I'm a child of God. Well, then the Father has passed on His love to you. You've received that gift of love, and now you become like the Father through the Son, His blood, and you should have joy, which the acrostic is Jesus, others, and yourself. Peace, rest. I don't have to do any of my work anymore. Christ already did them all for me. Now I have peace with God, and I can have peace with others, and I can go out with my feet shod with peace. Patience. Or we were talking about the other day, I always say patience. The New King James actually says long-suffering. Because there is a little difference that you suffer long. So you can have patience with a person, but God suffers long. He has a long wick is what that means. It just burns a long time before he gets mad and deals with it. And then he comes and chastises you. He is long suffering. And I'm glad he suffered with me long. Kindness. Kindness is very important. Kindness. Goodness. None good but God. I'm trying to remember the rest of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Oh my goodness. You can have faith and believe God, but do you have faithfulness, which comes through growing with God and learning that you're supposed to be going with God and then learning what we're looking at here. If He loved us, then we're supposed to love the brethren. So then we're being faithful with doing what He's called us to do the same way Jesus was faithful in His household. The Creator of the house, Hebrews tells us. Gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Paul told the Thessalonians. See, the trouble is, is that 
we've really redefined a lot of these words. We've redefined what they mean. Even love, love incarnate. Didn't love take a whip and cleanse the temple? See, sometimes it takes chastisement to get people out of the temple, to get people to stop doing the things that they're doing and understand that this is not godliness. Sometimes it takes a little bit. Jude says, save some with compassion and some with fear, hating even the garment defiled with the flesh. So sometimes we have to be able to, to save some with fear. Because they've already defiled their garments that they've been clothed in with their flesh. Back living the way they used to live instead of looking to be sanctified and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course the last one, self-control. Fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Some say sound mind because really self is supposed to be dead So when you start talking about self-control, it can bring in a little bit of confusion. Wait a minute. But it's really just talking about you having control over your desires, your appetites. You having control over what you're supposed to be doing because you're led by the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit of God. Because you need to know when 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 you walk up on somebody and they need to be saved by fear or they need to have compassion. You need to know the difference of whether you want to look upon them and have compassion upon them like Jesus did, or you want to look at the others and you say, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You have to know that, and it has to be spirit-led because you don't know the heart of a person. But God does. God does, and that's why the fruit has to be love, and love looks differently. But love is always in motion. Love is always in action. It's not something that you just say, I love them. I love you. I'll pray for you. It's okay to say that. But after you've prayed, do you put legs to your prayer? After God gives you wisdom in what to do. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not getting up. I'm not going to get off the couch. I'm going to keep feeding my face and feeding my flesh and and living this death culture. But the thing that sets us free is to get up and get out and go do what God said to do. What about the prodigal son? What did he do after he came to his senses? Laid there in the pig pen? Laid there in the field? No, he got up and he went toward the father. He got up and he went. He had no idea what he was going to do, but he said, when I get to the Father, I'm going to say, I'll just be your servant because you take good care of your servants. And the Father welcomed him back as a child, put a signet ring on him, met him, ran to him. See, God's always, always trying to bring us back. And the flesh and the devil in the world is trying to remove us from and get us to follow it. It's wickedness, it's lawlessness, it's lies and deception. Nobody said it didn't make like a a sense. Listen to me. Some of the things that people say in the world make sense. If you don't have the truth, it makes sense. But if you say, this is my truth, right here, this word of God is my truth, and then they say something that doesn't line up with the truth, 
You don't have to sit around and argue with them. You don't have to break it out on a piece of paper and write it down and go, i got to figure this out. Which one is real and which one's not? This is the truth. It's the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to sit around and try to figure it out. God's not trying to convince you he's real. He wants you to believe him. And if you believe him, then you believe every word in there. And if you don't believe him, then you have a problem with God created. And that's the first words of the Bible. Come on, did he really speak? I'm sure it was some way else. Really? Really? You're going, that, that's your plan? Really? Really, your plan is it that he used evolution. You really, want, you really want to talk about this? That's not what God said. God said he spoke. See, I don't really want to serve a God that has to do something else like that. If he can speak and create the heavens and the earth, I'm like, man, I'm all in. Dude, you got some power in your words. That's a real God. Nobody else is Nobody else is creating anything but confusion and lies when they speak something other than this word. That's all they're creating. It may look good for 20 years. It may look good for 70 years. Met a couple the other day that was married for 70 years. So what if you don't know Jesus? You're going to hell. Great job in marriage. That was really good. You're going to hell. Did you do it because Jesus said it? You're going to hell. Do you know Jesus personally? You're going to hell. Well, wait a minute, I'm the president. Wait a minute, I'm the CEO. Wait a minute, look how good I did in the world. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. And by this we know love, that love laid his life down for us. And if he laid his life down for us, we ought to lay our life down for the brethren. There's your evidence that you are a Christian. There's always going to be evidence. Now listen, the, the, the problem is not, oh my goodness, I don't have any evidence, I must not be a Christian. No, no, the heart is revealed, and now what do I do if I don't have the fruits of love? Well, I ask God, because if I believe God, He says that He's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and wash you and cleanse you. All you have to do is ask Him, wait a minute, what's going on? If I believe you, then how come I haven't received you? Oh, you got to do all that? Well, first John, or excuse me, John 1. He came to, John 1, 11, he came to his own, the nation of Israel, and they did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in what? His name, his character, his nature, his will, his plan, his instruction. It's who he is. We're going to see that in this book again, in the text that I just read. You're believing in his name. Remember Abraham? He believed God. Now you're believing in the name because now we know the name. We know the name of Jesus by all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth. We know the name now. And to the praise of his glory, one day every knee will bow. Every knee. And my thought is, is that that means that we'll do it now because we're listening and obeying and following him. And then there'll be people that are on their knees begging for another chance and none's going to be given. Because just as he is love, he's also just. He's a just God. It would not be a loving God to forgive them after the plan's over with. He has to be just or he's not loving. He has to be loving or he's not just. They have to go together. There's not going to be a second chance like the new evangelicalism is teaching. Like the new 
Christianity is teaching. Or annihilation, like universalism teaches. Those things are not going to happen. God perfectly lays out what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do in his love letter to us. And that's why he asked us to spend time in it, to get into the word prayer and fellowship, to confess our sin, to be washed and cleansed, to be purified, to be cleansed and be adorned as a bride ready, waiting for the groom. And if you're not doing that, then there's a problem at the heart of your Christianity. There's a problem with what the Holy Spirit's doing, and it's either you're grieving, quenching, and insulting Him, lying to Him, or you don't have the Spirit in the first place. And if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His children. So these things should concern us today because you don't want to find out about them after you've died. After you've died physically, you want to know today. By this we know. He wants you to know it today. This is so loving. That the Bible would say this to us. Not leave us where we're at, but devise ways to bring back those that have been banished by their sin, by their deception, by the lies, by the world, by death. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world's condemned already. He came to save the world and give us life and that more abundantly. Do not get this upside downward because that's the way the devil wants us to live. That's the way our flesh loves to live. Upside downward. Upside downward. I got somebody that makes fun of me for saying it like that. He says upside down's enough. You don't have to say the word. Upside downward. And I say, I'm from Kentucky. Did you get what I meant? By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. His children right there, that's all of us together. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Remember our renew you? Paul says, I urge you brethren, I plead with you considering the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Lay your life down for others. I know you're going, wait a minute. I'm too busy. I got too much going on. I'm too selfish. I'm too, I'm too, listen to me. It can't be done in the flesh. You can't fake love. You can't fake it. But in the spirit, God will give you a desire to be concerned about others. One of my favorite, and I probably wear you out telling you about it, is when, um, Joseph was thrown in prison. Do you guys remember Joseph? See, it's the same thing as 111. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Well, Joseph is a type of Christ, and his brothers wouldn't receive that he was the one who was supposed to rule over them. Even though God had planned it and foreordained it in his life, and he knew that it was going to happen because God knows the end from the beginning. And the brothers got so jealous and envious, just like Cain, because they 
weren't listening, and they ended up rejecting. Uh, the whole nation did. All the other tribes rejected Christ. But, but Joseph, they cast into a pit. They were going to kill him. And Reuben says, no, let's don't kill him. Let's sell him to somebody. Let's make some money off of him. And they throw him in a pit. So he ends up being sold to some uh, um, Ishmaelites and ends up in Potiphar's house. And he's faithful still. He's not mad at God. He's not hating on anybody. He's not bitter. He's just serving God still because he understands that God is sovereign. And no matter what happens in life, God is in control of that. And he's allowing it to show his heart. And he keeps serving God. And then Potiphar's wife lays eyes upon him because he was handsome in appearance and wants to sleep with him. And he says, Great big, great big line about it if you look. And at the end of it, you think he's going to say something. He says, and to sin against God. He said, Potiphar's made me charge of everything. He doesn't even know what he's eating, what he's got. He doesn't know how much money he's got. And how could I do such a thing and sin against God? Not and treat Potiphar that way. He knew who he was living before. His sin was before God. So long story short, she mocks him. Or says he came in to mock her. Potiphar has no choice but to take his wife's word and throws him in prison. And he's in prison, and what happens? Here comes the baker and the cupbearer. Cupbearer being the one that puts the drink right in the king's hand, Pharaoh's hand. He'd taste it first. If he doesn't die, the Pharaoh will go ahead and drink it. And the baker's cooking his food. Here's my point. Joseph could be bitter. Joseph could be mad. His brothers sold him. He's away from his family. He's being faithful. He's still serving God. And he gets thrown in prison again because of some liars. And here comes the cupbearer and the baker. And you know what Joseph is doing? Well, they made him charge of everything in prison because he was such a faithful man. And so when he got up in the morning, what did he do? He noticed. Listen to me. This is very important. He noticed the countenance of the baker and the cupbearer had changed from the day before. You ever notice that? You ever, you ever get out of yourself and notice that other people are hurting and dying? They're going to hell. They need to hear truth. They need to see truth. They need to see us walk this out. Listen to me. He's in prison. Could have been bitter. Could have been mad. Could have been all kinds of things. Could have been like, okay, I got this job and I'll do it, but I don't care about these people. See, God's economy is all in people. All about souls. It's not about this money and this gold and these things down here. It's not about power and greed. That's what the devil's about. And he wants you to be convinced that that's how you get to the top. Joseph says, what's going on with you guys? Your countenance has changed because he was concerned with people. And they said, oh, we both had dreams. And we don't know what they're about. Of course, he tells them what they're about. And one of them has great joy. The other one says, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die? Yeah, in two days you're going to die, dude. That's a good time to get right with the Lord if somebody tells you you're going to die in two days. Two days was Pharaoh's birthday, and everything happened exactly like he said. Three days? I'm sorry. He's holding up three fingers. Was it three days? Three days makes sense. Listen. By this we know love. We have the example. Remember Jesus come from the throne and the last night of his life he washed feet. He said, I've given you an example. Do as I have done. 
lay your life down for your brethren. And this is what it says here in, in the text, that we have, we have evidence. And, and you can tell if the Spirit of God is leading the life of, of a believer, if you truly believe God, is if you do what He says for you to do. If you begin to allow His Spirit to create in you a heart for others, a life that loves and serves and lays it down and lives a sacrificial, self-serving life for others. You put others first. Now, I'm not talking about the rest of the Bible. Listen, this is your heart, your mind, the way that Jesus would want it to do. There are some other things to do. There are some other things that you have to do. You have to, your first ministry is your family. You take care of your house. If a man doesn't take care of his own household, he's worse than an infidel. There's some things that you have to do on the other side of that. So you can't just go out and run and fake this and do a whole bunch of work for people and not be led by the Spirit and led by wisdom in what you're supposed to do. Because some people also do that and they think, well, I'm real saved because all I do is do everything for everybody else. Wait a minute, first requirement to be a leader in the church and really go out in love is that the Spirit would tell you to take care of your own house. If you can't take your own house, take care of your own house, you're not a good witness. You're not a good witness if you can't take care, be the leader in your house. And first, do what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how do you do that, Greg? He died. He died. Now, is this popular? Is this what you want to hear? No. But he died. He stopped all the hobbies. He stopped all the side things. He made his family first, his wife first, his family first. And, and see, we blame divorce and everything else on God when it's really our, our desires, the way we appropriate our life. That's what the devil wants you to do. Blame it all on God. Be bitter. Be mad. It's never going to work anyway. I might as well just give up on it. No, it's your, it's your desires. It's what you're putting in what place in life. It's you putting something before God. It's not God. God designed marriage perfectly. Perfectly. Then what happened, Greg? Well, you go read your Bible. The devil rushed straight in and attacked and, and went to the weaker vessel, the woman, Eve. Then what happened, Greg? Well, sin entered the earth by one man, not by the woman, by the man for not doing his job. For not laying his life down. For not protecting that bride. Make no apologies for any of that. That's the word of God. And, and just because we're way upside down in our churches and in our culture today doesn't change the truth of God's word and the foundational truth that the church knows it's supposed to be building from. And yet the church doesn't know the word of God. Not the foundation, none of the word of God. And that's not emphatically, that's just mostly. And nobody that knows it should be haughty about knowing the Word of God. But it behooves us to tell other people that you need to learn the Word of God. Because if you don't learn the truth, you will fall for the lie. If you don't learn the truth, you will be led away. And you'll believe Everything the earth tells you. Because there's a spiritual war for your soul going on. But if you want to know if you truly are saved, truly are living for God, truly moving in the right direction, truly doing the right things, if you've ever said, man, I wonder if I'm saved. I mean, 
Do you care about other people? Do you care about the brethren? See, we're all a body together. We're being knit together. In fact, it's over in Ephesians also. Let's see if we can find that. Four, Ephesians 4. Off the top of my head. Ephesians 4. Hmm. Okay, let's just 411. And he gave him and he himself, God, the Holy Spirit, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Now look, he gave different different equipping gifts. These are equipping gifts. Different people have different gifts. Well, what are they for, Greg? A 12 says, for the equipping of the saints. Well, what's the saints supposed to do with the equipping? The work of the ministry. Well, why would you do the work of the ministry? Because it edifies the body of Christ. It builds it up. How's it build it up? Because souls are saved and then there's more people in the body. Well, how long are we going to do that? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, in other words, finish line, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ because we're being purified and becoming like Christ, that we should no longer be children. In other words, stop staying on milk and move forward with the work. Tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But what are we supposed to do, Greg? Verse 15, speak to one another the truth in love, because if you don't have love, you're not his. Speak the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. See, that's who we're getting our orders from. And why did I tell you all that? Because look, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself once again in love. Listen to me. We're all supposed to be working together in love. Just like the analogy says, my body. If not, I'm in paralysis. If not, I'm handicapped. If not, there's something wrong. There's a sickness. I can't go to church today. I'm sick. I can't go to the world today because half the body's sick. See, it takes all of us together being joined together being unified, understanding that we're running a race, understanding that we're all being purified, understanding that we're supposed to be going and growing, understanding that we're supposed to be obeying the commandments and fulfilling it and doing it by His Spirit and His power according to His instruction for His glory. Not isolated and decimated and we do a Sunday service and we never talk to one another, see one another, even pray for one another for the rest of the week. We become a family, a body, a people that are all going to live in heaven together and we won't even talk to each other on earth. Something is wrong with that. But the world and the American dream and everything else has convinced us that we have to go out and be in bondage and chase their apple. So we can get a bite of the pie. And it all leads right back to death. The same place that Jesus saved us from. It's the same plan the devil had in the garden. It's the same reason we are born with a sin nature. So we have to look for evidences of life. 
And it has to be God. What he says is evidence of life. And John says, which means the grace of God, says that it's the love that we should be looking for. And if we have love, we'll be concerned about our brethren. We'll be concerned about souls. We'll be concerned about the work of the ministry. We'll be concerned about the people sitting in the church next to us. Listen to me. When, when I was a young Christian, I loved to get to church and see the faces of the people. I don't know if you do. You're like, oh, I love God, but I don't love them people. They're, they don't dress like I do. They don't act like I do. Listen, that's not godliness. I told somebody the other day, and I'll tell you this, is when a church begins to focus just on one type of people, they are off the rails. God's never told you to focus on one kind of people unless it's sinners, the lost, souls. He's told you to be a witness and to testify. Yet everywhere you go, we had somebody tell us uh, Friday that their church was showing what did I tell you guys? What's the name of that? Them, uh, I forget because I don't know nothing about Marvel comics and stuff. What's that movie, everybody? The Avengers. The Avengers. There you go. They have, uh, they're doing Avengers because they want to make it relational and they want the people coming in to understand and feel familiar. Why do you want a church full of goats? Why do you want a church full of wolves? Why do you want to bring a bunch of people that don't know Jesus in on top of somebody that might know Jesus? I want to preach the truth. You can get Avengers at the dime store. You can get Avengers at the movie house, which is terrible. All of that is the deception from the devil. He takes the word marvel. We're supposed to marvel at the works of God, the wonderful works of God. It means wonder, and they put this wonder woman and all these fake characters of fables. They're fables, and people begin to put their their whole heart and mind and strength into the, the fables. Marvel Comics. And they miss Jesus. And they think somebody else has power when nobody else has power. God is all-powerful. Listen, I can go on a soapbox for this. But the truth is, is that you don't have to draw anybody in. Andy Stanley's church, we already know he's a heretic. He wants to get rid of the Old Testament. He's playing Led Zeppelin for music so that people feel familiar. Let's do worship music of Led Zeppelin. This is occultic. This is deceptive. This is a lie. This is the world trying to become a church. And we have this coming, a new church coming, the new convergence where everybody will be happy because you'll have a little bit of everything in it. Anybody read your Old Testament? You see what happened when the Old Testament, when that happened? They all went into captivity. They all were taken in bondage. And they had no hope except to wait on God. And that's where you have to turn, is to God. That's the only hope, is to turn to the love of God. And the love of God stretched his arms out. And it wasn't nails that held him to that cross. It was his love for souls. And if we're his children, we should be like the Father. We should be like the Son. We should desire to pursue souls if his Spirit is leading us, not pursue everything except for souls. Now, everybody's going to do it differently because my hand does it like this when I'm talking, but my mouth is moving like this, and I don't breathe, so my lungs really don't get no part of it. But you see what I'm seeing? Your body all has to be involved in it. Because I can't be a perfect representation of Christ, and you can't, but all of us hooked together, joints and marrow, all of us ligaments and everything together, we can be a great representation of Christ. Because when they see our love for one another, 
They'll know we're his disciples. They'll see there's evidence of a really, a true living God that's not in the grave anymore, but he has gotten up. He's resurrected. But when we look just like the world and we're teaching Avengers in church, we're teaching fables and lies and telling people this is, here's the spiritual part of God in this. Why don't you just teach them the, the Bible? You would be better off to stand and just read the Bible to somebody than to be thinking that you're going to save souls with the Avengers. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ain't it the way the world does it? To calm down. I have to calm down. We get back on text. So what does love look like? Well, verse 17. 317. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him, dwell in him, live in him? Notice. Very important to notice this. Listen, it's about noticing that your brother's in need. Listen, it's about your heart. See what that, he didn't say and shuts his wallet up, shuts his bank account up, won't give him, he said he shuts his heart up. See, because needs are different. And if you're like Joseph, you notice people. You notice their needs. You ask God for wisdom and say, wait a minute. Their need is not money. Their need is they need to get a job. Because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And there's a difference between poor and lazy. See, so you have to have that with compassion. And you have to have that ability with the Holy Spirit to know the difference. And if I'm going to err, I'd rather err on giving them some money and not understanding to make sure that I take care of their physical needs than to err and to kick them out of heaven or something. Because it's not my job to kick people out of heaven. It's my job to tell you, you better search and find out and put yourself on trial today and see if there's even evidence that you are in heaven, that you're a citizen of heaven. Because so many people are duped and they think they're a citizen of heaven and they're really just living twice the son of hells just like the nation of Israel allowed. And Jesus gave it to him. He said, you, you swim or you go land and sea to win one proselyte, one person to become a Jewish person and then you make them twice the sons of hell. And we're repeating that in the church today because we have our own little form of godliness that denies the power thereof listen to me listen to me it's when you close your heart to the needs of other people it's not when you close your wallet because their needs might be something else you might need to rebuke them you might just need to counsel them you might just need to point the light and say jesus is the way you you, you can't just put it all in one box people's needs are different god knows what they need that's why we teach to an open room that's why we just preach the gospel and let it fall where it's at. And God puts the Holy Spirit on people where he wants to put it on them. And he convicts what he wants to convict. He does his work. Listen to me. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep the heart with all diligence. for all, Out of it flow all the issues of life. There was a man who, oh, he was doing great. Had barns full, and he said, wait a minute, I'm going to have a bumper crop this year. And what? Oh, man, 
I gotta make my plans here. I better build some more barns. I gotta build some more barns to put this stuff in it. And God said, You fool, your soul will be required of you tonight. Because his plan was to keep storing it up like it was gonna do something for him. His plan was to keep getting more because whoever gets the most barns wins. I don't think that's the plan. And then you say, well, who's my brethren? Go read the Good Samaritan. Listen, your brethren, well, let's look over at Luke 14. My goodness, I got too much material here. A whole Bible, 66 bucks. 14, boof, 14, 7. Jesus teaching. So he told a parable. Now a parable is this, uh, is a is a uh, uh, story that tells about something that has spiritual truth laid alongside. So that if you have ears to hear, you'll hear. But if you don't want to hear, you'll walk away, and it won't harden your heart to the things of God. So it's grace at the same time as it's truth. If you want to hear this, uh, para is alongside. Parable to those who were those who were invited. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding, guess what? We've all been invited to a wedding. We've even been invited to be the bride. To a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. See, we have trouble with that. See, we all think that we are the best. We all think that, um, not only do we think that we're thinking of ourselves, but we're thinking also that other people are thinking of us all the time. We have problem with this pride. With this, We have a problem. We're just very proud people. It's all about me. He said that because about me. He knows about me. We have a problem with pride. And what we do is when something happens, all we do is consider how does that affect me? Over in Philippians in 2.3, he says, do not look out for your own interest, but also the interest of others. See, when you make a decision to do something, you are being a witness to other people, and you need to be concerned about that. That's loving the brethren. I'm real goofy. I said to my wife this morning, I, I shouldn't tell you this, but because it's real goofy, the color of my tennis shoes is a little bit different. You may have never noticed it, but I noticed it on the video. And, and I also noticed a whole bunch of old preacher men trying to be young kids instead of growing old gracefully. And I said to my wife, I said, honey, do these tennis shoes make it look like I'm an old dude in some young shoes and trying to be young? Now listen to me, seriously, because I don't want nobody stumbling thinking I'm trying to be an old dude that wants to be a young dude because I'm an old dude. I'm getting older every day, and I'm okay with it because with age comes wisdom, and there's grace in that, and there's love in that, and there's mercy in that, and there's maturity in that. Now, you may have never looked at my tennis shoes, but I was concerned that somebody that's older might think that I was trying to be young because I don't want them to follow that pattern because it's the pattern of culturanity where all these old dudes that are 70 are trying to dress hip and be hip and they want to go chase the young music and the young guys, they're supposed to be teaching them truth. And truth is, they old. And the Bible says that the old dudes are supposed to be discipling the young guys. 
And it's not discipling the young guys to go adopt what they're doing. In other words, you're letting the young guys disciple the old guys. And that's how all the new stuff comes into the church. All the bad stuff comes into the church. Because we're afraid to say, whoa, dude, no, no. That's not church. That's the world. Sorry. That was a, I give you that for free. I mean, that wasn't even in the sermon. Where was we at? 14. Eight. Wedding feast. Don't sit down in the best places. Listen. Know your place. Know your lane. Know what you've been called to be in the body of Christ. Know where you're supposed to be at. Lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him both, he invited both of you, you're both allowed to come. He come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you began with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you, in other words, humble yourself, uh, invited you, comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And this is where I wanted you to be. Then he said to him who was invited, or excuse me, then he said to him who invited him. There's a party, you're the one giving the invitations, you invited people to come. This is very important right here. Don't go to sleep on me. When you give a dinner, now we're talking about a dinner, or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, why not? Lest they invite you back and you be repaid. Again, listen to me, this is the heart the heart of why you do what you do. Are you inviting your friends, relatives, and, and people that's well-to-do because you're looking to jockey for position and favor so that you can rule over people and they're going to invite you back and you're going to get you're going to get what you want out of it? That's a selfish motive. Or do you invite the least of these? Notice the cross does, is for everybody, but he didn't come and have his son in a big hospital. He didn't come and, and, and go to kings and say, would you guys send out some flyers and some heralds and make sure they know my son is getting ready to be born. He came to the lowest place. He came and became the lowest. And when we're doing, when we're doing the works, the labors, what the Spirit leads us to do, we don't just go and go, okay, okay, he told me to be hospitable and have some dinners. I'll invite some friends and then they'll invite me to their house and we never have to go to the least of these. We'll just go back and forth. We'll just stay with the people in the church and we'll just do for one another and we'll ignore everybody else. Not the gospel. You receive your reward when you do it for the wrong heart, the wrong way. 14, he says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Oh, I forgot 13. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, again, this is evidence. Are we just trying to win and influence friends? Are we just trying to grow our life? Are we 
seeking to allow God to use us to build his kingdom. He said, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But so many people try to help him. Let me invite these people over. Let me talk to these people. You know what I do? I don't want to point at me, but I pray that God will get you out of here if you ain't supposed to be here. I'm serious. If you're not supposed to be in this body, I pray God will put you in the right place. But if you're supposed to be here, I pray that God would use you for his glory. Everybody can come in, but if you're, if you're not here for the right reason, I just pray and I let God do the sorting. He's the one that does it. He's really good at it. So the world looking for favor and position. But with the church, we already have favor. We already have position. We're royalty. We're way above all of this. We're children of God. And because of our favor, because of our position, we go to others with love. We, we hand the love of God out. That was the point of that. We're not looking for favor and position. Why would I want to go down the ladder? Do you remember Jacob when he went down to Egypt? Joseph, after he became second in the kingdom and had the signet ring, he brought his father down. And when they, and when they brought Jacob in, what happened when he was before Pharaoh? The Bible says Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't bless Jacob. Why would Jacob want to go down the ladder? Somebody who's a world leader? No, I'm a child of the king we got to get our position right. We already have position. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. We already have favor. God has put his spirit in us, and he's trying to use us for his glory to help bring other banished ones back. I didn't get many verses done, did I? So where's your heart at? See, that's what God wants is your heart. He's trying to... Get your heart. Guard your heart. That's where, I mean, the New King James, I says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. But that word keep means to guard and protect. Well, how do I guard and protect my heart? From lies and the deception by knowing the truth. I put the truth in. I let it be planted. I let love be the, the, the one that regulates my heart. And by this we know, what does it look like? It looks like being concerned about the needs of others. Listen to me. Listen, this is not a sermon about giving your money away. He didn't say open your wallet and take care of their needs. It's about being concerned with people and relationships and understanding that people need to have ministry and edify one another. That's what fellowship is about. That's what body life is about, the one another ministry. I'm too busy with my family. Well, your family isn't seeing a proper witness if that's all you're doing. That's like cancer. When your body gets cancer, it's because the cells turn in on themselves, and all they do is take care of themselves. And it causes a cancer, and that cancer has to be treated or cut out, or it'll kill the rest of the body. And that's why we're supposed to go out and give ourselves away. But I got to do that. Well, the greatest thing you can do as a husband for your kids is let them see you loving your wife. 
The greatest thing you can do for your neighbor is let them see you ministering to your children. But we look all the way over here and go, but I'm going to go over there and build a house in Haiti, and it's going to be for the gospel. Well, maybe, maybe not. If all your neighbors know that you're beating your wife or talking crazy to her and not loving her as Christ loved the church, it might not do nothing for the gospel. It might be them trying to get you saved. And you already think you're okay. We have to wake up to the truth of the gospel. Again, he says, 18, my little children, my little born-again ones, let us not love in word or in tongue. You know, talk is cheap. It's easy to say I love you and never do nothing. You know, it's even easy to do this because this is another way you can do it. I love those people. Let's just send them a bunch of money. I'm going to open my wallet. Not my heart. Remember the widow's might? Remember the widow that came and they're all looking and go, wow, look at all the money those guys are putting in the pot. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that widow gave more than all of what they gave. What? She gave a mite. It's like a third of a penny. And they gave out of their abundance what they had left over after they spent it on their own selfish needs. But she gave out of her livelihood. A widow has nobody to take care of her. A widow has nothing in that culture. But she trusted God because she just gave it all. We've been duped into thinking that if we come to church on Sunday in America, we're okay with God. Listen, there's no way to be okay with God except to believe God. What am I going to believe? I'm going to believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. But if you believe that, there's going to be evidence that you are still believing him and following him. You can't get saved by following Him. You can't get saved by doing the work. You can't get saved. But the evidence will be that you love the things that He loves. You hate the things that He hates. It's okay to hate as long as you're hating what God hates. In fact, Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Pride, arrogance, and the evil way I hate, the Lord says. Word and tongue, so many people, so many people say, I love you. Really? Waiting for you to get up and do something. I love, and we do nothing. We love God and we do nothing. Jesus just says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Quite simply, in 14, 15 of John. I'm not going to go there, but that's a good chapter to read. Go read John chapter 14 and see what the Spirit does and see what a life does and see what goes on when we really love God, when we really believe God. You know the word, oh, we'll get to it in a minute. Let's keep moving. Um, don't do it, it's 18, word or tongue, but do it in deed and in truth. Deed is ergon. It means the labor. It means what you're occupied with. If you love, you're occupied with that. You're doing something. It's the labor and in truth. So listen to me. So again, we go back to having wisdom. Because you can go, I love you, and get up and go build them a whole house. And it's not in truth. 
Because you just made it comfortable, comfortable for them to live in this world, but they still don't know Jesus. So when you love in deed and truth, you have to make sure you have wisdom that the work doesn't keep them in a place where they don't need God. Listen to me. Now, as many people will say that this is only talking about the brethren, and I can go with that if you want to do that, especially to the household of faith. I mean, the Bible tells us that, first to the household of faith or other brothers and sisters. But I'm, I believe this is talking about our witness. It's about our love. It's about how we treat people, uh, not just on the inside, but on the outside. And you have to have wisdom and compassion with all of that because, say, see, you could be out talking to somebody and you go, I ain't going to do nothing for them. They could be the household of faith and just haven't come to Jesus yet. They could be your brethren and just haven't said, I do yet. So you can't just stop and do it with one person. It has to be who you are in your character. It has to be who you are in your life. It has to be inside and not just outside. And that's the full salvation. It can't be like Cain who only did it on the outside the way he wanted to and didn't listen to any of the instruction of God. It has to be like Abel who came with an offering that God had instructed and did it according to what God said. It's deed and truth. And here he goes again, 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth. See, you can know if you're of the love. You can know if you're doing the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. You can have confidence before him. When you see this evidence, you know how easy it is to have confidence? You know how easy it is to have confidence if you see the evidence of God moving in your life. He's changing your life. He's giving you his spirit. He's leading you into work. He's leading you into doing the things. And you see that, and your heart is assured and has confidence. 20, he says, and he's going to continue this thought. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. See, because you can go, uh, and you can condemn yourself with your emotions, with your feelings, with your heart. I think this, and I'm just a, and I can't do, and God, no, no, God's greater than your heart. See, that's why you have to appropriate truth. I don't always feel saved. I don't always feel good. But if I appropriate truth and I do truth regardless of how I feel, because God is greater than my heart. You can have that confidence that God is still working if you're growing. You don't, you're not always going to do everything perfectly. Your heart can condemn you. Where's that at? i got to find it in my words. The word condemn means to find fault with or to blame. God is larger than your heart. Listen, truth is greater than what you come up with if you condemn yourself. Because the Bible is clear. If anyone is in Christ, or excuse me, the Bible is clear, another verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus if you walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. See, if you're moving and you're trying to, to be led by the Spirit and your heart is to do what God has called you to do, you can still stumble. But there's no longer any condemnation. There's no longer anything that's against you because Christ paid for it all. 
But you can still feel that. You can say, well, I can't go do what he's talking about because I just did this and I just did that. And boy, look at my past and look what's going on there. You can find all kinds of faults and all kinds of reasons to blame yourself or to say I'm not going to do it and I can't do it. Those are excuses. God is greater than your heart. And God has set you free. And God has called you out. Again, beloved, 21, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, if you're living right, you're not stumbling, you're understanding these truths, you're picking up the inheritance, you're sharing it, you're walking in love, you're not doing it just in word and tongue, but you're doing it in deed, and you're trying to find out your gifts and talents and abilities and grow in Christ. If our heart does not blame us, condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Uh, Notice he didn't say, we have self-confidence. Listen to me. See, because that's what most people, oh boy, I'm doing good, and I'm working on my self-confidence. Listen, that'll get you killed in the kingdom of God, spiritually, because there's nothing good that dwells in the flesh. You have confidence in God. So if you're going to boast, you boast in what God's doing, the confidence that God is giving you. You boast because He is assuring your heart, because now the Spirit is leading you, and you're learning to do what God called you to do. And you have confidence in Him, in His power, His might, His calling on your life, His work that He's going to do. I guarantee you He can do it. Faithful is he who called you, and he will also do it. That's the verse in 525 after 1 Thessalonians where he said he's going to sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. It says, faithful is he who called you, and he will also do it. Remember the word do, doeth, commit. He's going to make it happen. But you've got to surrender to him and get out of the way. You don't have to be ashamed, which was 228. Remember, he's already made that point. 228, and now little children abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So if we're abiding in him and doing what he's called us to do, we can have confidence in our heart. I was trying to think of this sociologist, this lady. I love this lady. She was a nice lady. She said she was a Christian lady. But she was a sociologist, and she said I was narcissistic. Because I was telling her the truth of what the Bible said. And I said, well, I mean, and she was, she was huge involved in sociology first coming out because she was about 90 years old at this time. And I worked in the schools in Indianapolis and, and uh, was teaching other people. And I was like, but no, wait a minute. I'm not saying anything about me. I'm telling you scripture. I'm quoting scripture of what God says. I'm not being narcissistic. I'm being a witness And are you going to tell God that he's narcissistic? Many atheists do. Many people do. They call him all kinds of things. Like they're calling Christians today. That's what they're saying about God. If they call a Christian that's living their faith and they persecute them because they're speaking out loud and sticking with the Bible, I've seen another person mocking my goodness, how do they get this? You guys remember when our vice president didn't go anywhere uh, with another woman in a car or at dinner or wasn't seen like that, and they mocked him for it. And there was another leader. They were mocking for this. And uh, how do they get that that is against women? I mean, they turn it around. No, it's for God. 
It's for God. It's for my protection that I never do that. I've had jobs where they, I go, I can't do that. Sorry. I have to get another job if you're going to make me get in a car with another woman. It's not going to happen because I'm going to put my marriage first. I'm going to put my life with God first. And they say that it keeps a woman from being able to have FaceTime with the boss. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're really kidding me, right? Some of the stuff that we come up with that's nonsense. Sorry, I put that in there. But we can have confidence, assurance, and it's not narcissistic. If you're talking the truth and you're speaking the truth and God is using you, I mean, how many people look at Paul, right, in half the New Testament because the Holy Spirit was using him? Look at Jesus, full of the Spirit without measure, comes down and dies and fulfills his ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture proves that out, led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And we want to live our Christian's life with no relationship with the Spirit of God. Not being led by the Spirit of God. And then we expect not to be condemned. To go back to Romans 8, 1 and 2. If your Bible doesn't have the verse in there uh, on 1, it'll come back up in 3. It actually tells you not to walk in the flesh. You have to walk by the Spirit. There's no condemnation to those who... Walk in the Spirit, according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. But if you're living in the flesh, you're going to be ashamed. You're going to have a lack of confidence in Christ. You're not going to believe the promises of God. You're not going to be sure of the promises of God. Notice where it's for. Uh, it's toward, that's direction. Still verse 21. We have confidence toward God. Not toward somebody else. It has to be given toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Why? Because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now listen to me. That's not a genie in a bottle. That's not, oh, I've been obeying God. I better ask for a Bentley. If you've been obeying God and you've been walking in love and you have this world's materials and you're doing what God has called you to do, you're not going to be concerned about a Bentley. You're not going to be concerned like these, these false prophets and false teachers on TV and wanting a jet because you've got to get your ministry fulfilled. i got to get a jet. You don't understand. It's just really hard to fly on coach or in, are you kidding me? Aren't those the people you're supposed to be talking to? Are you kidding me? And the people in the airport, the ones you're supposed to be ministering to, witnessing to, living out loud in front of? You need a jet so you can bypass all of them to do your ministry? Really? I don't think Jesus went 50 miles outside of his hometown. And he's touched the entire world. And he did it walking. And Paul did it walking. It's just not the gospel. It doesn't preach out. But if you're looking to do his will and walk in love and take care of souls and reach out to people and you pray and it's according to his desire, according to what he's doing, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll take care of you. And this is his commandment. Uh-oh. You remember what commandments is? An authoritative prescription. That's what the commandment is. It's a precept, but it's called an authoritative prescription. What's the What's the shot? What's the vaccine? It's an authoritative prescription. It's backed up by the CDC. It's an authoritative prescription to take care of COVID. 
See, it's not, a, it's not a happen chance that the devil does the opposite, but tries to act like he's the Savior. Sorry, the commandment that God gave me, the instruction of the Word of God, is my authoritative prescription for my life. Not man's ideas. Not man's pharmacy. It doesn't mean we never use pharmacy. But you have to remember that pharmacy is pharmakeia, which is the same word for sorcery. I'm just saying. I have an authoritative prescription. It's the Word of God that tells me that if I believe God, here it is. Here's His commandment. You guys ready? That we should believe. Pistio means to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ on the name, character, nature, and will of His Son, Jesus Christ. And after you do that, what? And love one another. Now that definitely is the church. Love one another. That's the one another ministry where you're considering one another. You're helping carry one another's burdens. You're helping one another get by in life and get through this and building up and edifying, using your gifts to minister to the body of Christ. That's what the one another ministry is. And he says, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments, he who keeps his authoritative prescription abides in him. You want to know if you're abiding in Christ, living for Christ? In his house, are you looking even to guard his prescription, to guard his word, to protect his word, to walk out his word, to live according to his word? And he in him. Jesus said in 15.5 of John, according to the same author, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man abide in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do Something? Nothing. Double not. Jethro, double not. Nothing. If you're not abiding in the vine, attached to the root, you can't do nothing in the kingdom of God. And by this we know, there it is again. Come on. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So you know that the spirit's producing fruit, the spirit's producing love, the spirit's producing truth, the spirit's leading you away from death culture into life, and you know. Think about this. If you was a, if you was a, uh, a lawyer in a courtroom and you say judge or jury, by this we know. We have pictures of them in there. We have fingerprints of them in there. We have the, the, the biology, the DNA of them in there. We would know there was evidence to convict or to exonerate. By this we know. Do you know that you know? He's going to get to that point. Do you know that you know? Over in 5 he gets to that point in case you guys want to know. Because you can know that you're living for God. You can know you're a child of God. You can know you're growing in God. Over in 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and then go do what you want. 
No, it says, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's a continuation. It's a constancy in faith where you continue to grow and go because until we're pured and look just like, until we're purified and look just like him, we're supposed to be constantly on the grow and on the guard over his commandments. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your love came down. Thank you that you didn't just love us in word and tongue, but it was in deed and truth. And truth is a person. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that no one comes to the Father except through the Son. So we pray, Holy Spirit, you would help us to see the Son and be more like the Son so that one day soon we could see the Father face to face. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Give us a desire to love according to your gospel, according to your word, not according to the world. Their love that says, don't judge me. Their love that says, leave me in my sin. Lord, we pray that we would not love like that. But we would love according to your spirit, according to your word, with wisdom and compassion. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Give us a desire to be witnesses and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?